When you come to worship on a Sunday, you can count on a number of things. We will read from the Bible. We will sing a lot. We will celebrate communion. There will be something delicious at coffee hour. And we will be asking for volunteers. We are always asking for volunteers in our community. You all know this. There's work to be done, after all. There is food to be prepared for the soup kitchen. There are worshipers to be greeted as they come to the church. There are church school classes to be taught and new members to be accompanied and cakes to be baked for the Fête de la Musique. Helpers are needed and the sign-up sheets will be out after worship like they are every Sunday. You can count on that. We are always on the lookout for volunteers. It's part of being community. And we generally try to ask for help in a gentle, encouraging sort of way. This task isn't a hard one, we say. No experience necessary. It's fun to serve with others. You'll be glad you did it. The time will fly by. We tend to lift up all the pluses of getting involved to talk about what a good experience this is going to be. And I do think all that's true most of the time. It turns out that Jesus is also looking for volunteers today. There is work to be done, after all. In our reading last week, he looked out at the crowds of people, so many folks crying out for healing and justice and hope, and there's need for help. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, he said to his disciples. So Jesus is also looking for volunteers, but wow, is his sales pitch different from ours. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, he says. You will be dragged before kings and governors on my account. You will face persecution and hardship and discouragement. You will be maligned and defamed. You may face rejection from those closest to you. You may even face death. So who's ready to join? The sign-up sheets will be here on the altar after worship. You can just mark your name and email and phone number and we'll be in touch in the coming week. Yikes, that is some invitation Jesus gives, isn't it? There's nothing gentle about it. No promise that this will all be fun or easy or a great way to spend a Saturday morning every now and then. Jesus is deadly serious with his disciples here. You're my followers. And followers cannot expect anything better than the one they are following. So you'd better know what you're getting into in my company. You had better know how serious this is. Come and lose your life. Scholars commenting on this passage will often say that you can get a glimpse of the communities who first heard the Gospel of Matthew right here. When small groups of Christians got together in cramped living rooms to worship and pray and tell the story of Jesus' life in the first and second centuries throughout the Roman Empire, the sorts of things that Jesus is describing here likely did not sound all that distant or theoretical. Local authorities really did demand to know what this movement was all about and just why Christians were referring to someone other than the emperor as Lord. The message that they proclaimed about a peasant rabbi who taught and embodied God's kingdom of grace and mercy, who was killed as a criminal and raised from the dead, 
That message really was often heard as outlandish and strange and worthy of derision. They really did often find themselves at odds with their old religious communities and social systems and families. They really did find that joining the path of discipleship involved danger and hardship and an upending of life as they knew it. While all of that might sound distant and far from our experience here on a beautiful Sunday morning in Geneva during the Fête de la Musique with concerts all around, it would not have sounded that way to the earliest Christians. They really saw and experienced much of what Jesus describes. And I have been wrestling with a question this week. Why in the world then did they stick around? Why didn't the first disciples slink off back to their villages when Jesus started talking about losing their lives? Why did the early Christian communities keep meeting when they knew full well where it might lead? Why did they keep following Jesus when the risks were clearly so great, the stakes so high? Jesus didn't ask in the gentle, encouraging sort of way that we do. He said clearly, this is not going to make your life any easier. And they didn't run away. It's amazing, isn't it? It goes against all our familiar logic. So why did they stay? In pondering that question this week, I got to thinking about somebody I knew many years ago when I was living in Jerusalem. Saliba was a tailor in the old town. His shop was located near the church where I worked, and somehow or other we got to know each other. For over 50 years, Saliba had made fine men's clothes out of this little shop. He also made stoles for pastors. The shop window always had this colorful display, bright colors that stood out against the winding stone street. He was an old man by the time that I met him, and like many Christians in the Holy Land, he had a difficult story to tell. Saliba's family were Syriac Orthodox. For many generations, they had lived peacefully in the Ottoman Empire and what is now Turkey, until World War I when his people suddenly found themselves the victims of persecution and even genocide. Those who could escape fled to neighboring countries and to Europe. His family ended up in Jerusalem, where he was born and where he'd lived ever since. You probably know that life for Arab Christians in Israel-Palestine is not exactly easy. He had lived through wars and uprisings and setbacks. He and his family found themselves treated as second-class citizens with limited rights to movement, systemic discrimination, and any number of indignities foisted upon them. The life of following Jesus as they have known it has not been easy or safe or secure. But I remember a conversation with Saliba one January, near the day when Christians around the world celebrate the baptism of Jesus. His community has a particular tradition of gathering by the banks of the Jordan River on that day, which is not a bad place to remember the baptism of Jesus, right? And he told me that the Syriac Orthodox Christians who ended up in neighboring Jordan do the same thing. His community from Israel-Palestine gathers on one side of the river, and those who ended up in Jordan gather right on the other side, just opposite. This is an international border, and most of them don't have the right to cross, but they celebrate across the river anyway. 
this battered gathering singing to one another from bank to bank, holding a common worship service and baptizing their babies in the slowly moving water. His face absolutely lit up telling me about that. It was clear that worshiping with his scattered people meant the world to him. That even across a boundary line like that, the body of Christ was giving meaning and purpose and grace to his life. So of course, I don't know why the disciples hung around when Jesus told them following him could very well make their lives more difficult and more perilous. I don't know just why the first questions kept at it either when they found that prediction of Jesus to be absolutely true. But I can only imagine it was because in his company they found something very precious, more important and more valuable than comfort or ease or status or wealth or fame. I can only imagine they kept at it because in Jesus's company they found life, life that they found nowhere else. In Jesus' company, they found the truth that God cares for every creature. Every sparrow is accounted for. Every person is held in God's loving attention. In Jesus' company, they found the truth that, as Paul says, death no longer has dominion over us, and we are free to walk in newness of life. In Jesus' company, they found themselves fed and sustained and strengthened with hope. In Jesus' company, They found something that gave meaning and purpose and grace to their lives. When you have glimpsed that, says the witness of Christians throughout the ages, when you have experienced the depth of God's love made known in Jesus, comfort and ease and status somehow seem a whole lot less important. When you have glimpsed that, you see that life in Jesus' company is worth the risk. We here today come from a wide variety of places. Some of us might come from contexts where the danger of following Jesus is abundantly clear. Others like me come from places where joining a church seems about as risky as joining a gym, where it is sort of the most ordinary and obvious thing to do. Either way, Jesus's remarkable words are there today to remind us of what a precious gift we have been given. The gift of the gospel has led people to risk everything, even their lives. It has sustained individuals and communities through incredible hardship, time and again. It is that rich, that valuable, that life-giving. Jesus' words remind us of that once again today. And they just might nudge us beyond our comfort zones as well. We might see anew how the gospel makes a claim on each of us, how it reorders our priorities, and disturbs our familiar patterns. We might find ourselves standing up for those left out and challenging systems that exclude and loving more deeply than we ever thought possible. We just might find an upending of life as we know it. Jesus is looking for volunteers. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it, he says. And friends, Life in his company is worth the risk. Thanks be to God. Amen.